Hello and welcome to the Ed Surge On Air podcast. I'm Jeff Young. Welcome to the Age of Experiences. What if looking into flat screens, like on your computer monitor or phone, is kind of over, and we're entering a world of immersive VR? Our guests today think that new era is coming sooner than you might think, but they admit there's plenty of challenges remaining, both practical ones, like making sure VR goggles don't cause motion sickness, and ethical ones. This discussion took place as part of our monthly EdSurge Live video town hall. We streamed it live from the South by Southwest EDU conference this month, and anyone could tune in and ask questions. We'll have that conversation right after this. This episode of the EdSurge On Air podcast is brought to you by the EdSurge Next newsletter. Get the latest news and views about higher education technology each week. Sign up for the EdSurge Next newsletter. Just visit edsurge.com and click on subscribe. Hello, and welcome to EdSurge Live, a video town hall about the future of education. I'm Jeff Young, an editor and a reporter at EdSurge, and we are streaming today live from South by Southwest EDU um, in Austin, Texas. Um, And, you know, one of the topics that I'm definitely hearing about here, and of course, as we talk to folks um, in our reporting, we're hearing a lot about virtual reality. Um, And I think people are wondering what the tech's role might be at colleges, in the classroom. Um, And, you know, some of that question is probably practical at this point since the tech is so new and there's like, which gadget is better than the other? But the more interesting questions, let's face it, are deeper and and tougher, much more interesting. Um, And, you know, what does it mean to teach in an immersive format? Um, You know, what can this do that that couldn't be done without it. How might we change a professor's approach to teaching as a result of having a tool like this? Um, or should they, you know, there are ethical issues. So we're hoping to, you know, get to some of those today. Um, and thanks to, to all of you out there and, and to a couple um, ringers we have here with us. Um, the, to get started, we are gonna have two guests, as you see, um, from uh, Maya um, Georgieva, Director of Digital Learning at the New School in New York City. And it's a new role. She'll tell us about more in a minute. And Rob Cadle, Assistant Director of Research at Georgia Tech's Center for 21st Century Universities, mm-hmm. a really interesting and unique place that we'll hear more about in a minute too. So, first, I want to I want to give a chance for each guest to tell us a little bit more about about yourselves and why you're here. Because um, Maya, how did you kind of? I guess what is your new role at the new school? For um, sure, and hello everybody. Everybody, you know, from whatever you're tuning in, we're here at South by Southwest EGU, and it's you know the conversation is great, um, and I think it's a great opportunity to um, to actually connect with those of you who are not here but uh, equally involved and thinking about uh, immersive learning and the future of VR and, and, and education. So as Jeff mentioned, I just joined the new school in, in December, actually, and it's a new role. I'm the director of digital learning. I don't have a predecessor and I have a kind of an interesting portfolio in that sense that um, it's, it's a role really to, to work on both digital and immersive learning initiatives. And I think this is a sign to come. I think we're likely to see similar roles emerge um, on other campuses. My role is also in partnerships with the, of the chief information officer, the CAR office, and the vice provost for curriculum and learning. And so in that capacity, sort of my role is not only to think about sort of the future of digital learning, and for me that means immersive, um, and kind of really help inspire innovation in design and, and thinking about new learning experiences. 
Yeah, I mean, that is really interesting. I mean, the fact that your job is about immersive learning. Yes. You know, talk about a job that didn't, <laughs> wouldn't have existed a few years ago. Exactly, um, exactly. It's safe to say. And, and Rob, tell us a little bit about um, the Center for 21st Century Universities, which is a few years old now, but mm-hmm. and, and, and kind of your role there. Uh, sure. So uh, we, we refer to ourselves as C21U, uh, nice. Center for 21st Century Universities. Uh, <laughs> we're about five years old now, uh, and uh, it, we're really a, uh, a think tank on the Georgia Tech campus for innovation in higher education. Uh, Obviously, much of that is going to be technology-focused, but we have uh, many different projects that we're working on. Uh, For example, uh, we've been uh, instrumental uh, in an initiative that uh, came from uh, Georgia Tech's president and provost uh, to uh, re-envision higher education for the next 20 years. And uh, that process has been a two-year process that we're going to have a report coming out from very soon where we're exploring things like um, blockchain uh, and its potential for education and credentials and so forth. Uh, we're looking at artificial intelligence, um, AI uh, peer tutor, or excuse me, not peer tutors, tutors uh, driven by AI and so forth. But of course, one of those things that we're also looking into is how we can uh, capitalize on uh, the excitement and the potential for augmented and virtual reality. Um, Georgia Tech is uh, is a very decentralized kind of of uh, institution, uh, so we well, have actually probably many people. Out yes, there I'm sure. Colleges, sure. Um, and so. We we have we have many different uh, pockets around campus of various people who are working with uh, VR technology. And then briefly, my role uh, with C21U is uh, as uh, the uh, sort of the uh, re- head of the research team. So I'm going around and talking to all these different people and finding out how can we collect data on this? How can we make sure that uh, we're um, evaluating effectiveness and knowing what we need to do to move forward? Thank you both, and, and once again, thanks for having for being here. Um, so my, I, you gave a talk here at the South by Southwest uh, EDU Festival yesterday. That was a, you know, people were being turned away. It was so popular. It was a, a very big crowd because you were talking about what you saw as kind of the future issues emerging in VR in education. And I, I know that was, you know, a half hour talk yeah. packed with many things. But um, you sort of talked about how, you know, why you felt this was important um, and, and where things were going. I guess I'm curious about, you know, why, why, why does VR, you know, why this and, and why are you excited about it and, and kind of maybe maybe one highlight from your talk yesterday about where things are going well I think I'm excited I think if you um, kind of opened my talk um, pretty early was with welcome to the age of experiences because uh-huh. I think that um, you know everything we've done with technology thus far has been kind of moderated either on the screen on some screen whether it's the big screen the desktop screen or the mobile screen and you're talking about even just big picture of tech trends like yes that's, it's been that screen so it, yeah so we've kind of like basically um, that's been the the mode we've connected right up to you know now we have this new medium which is immersive and it's all the R's. It's mixed reality and augmented reality and virtual reality. And, you know, we, we're very early on this medium and very early on this journey. But for me, this is about experiences. So it's no longer thinking about, um, a, you know, 
sort of typing something on, it's about actually entering the space. And when you think about, I think the best part of VR is that you enter a space. Um, and, and you experience it very, very sort of similar to the way you experience, experience the physical world. So we've been talking about, you know, natural interfaces and various other things and kind of uh, trying to get them to education. And they haven't made their way to education. I think this is now an opportunity for us to think through, um, well, you know, how do we create these kind of experiences on demand? You know, giving a front row seat to somebody, whether it's to a historic event or whether it is to engage in a sort of in a science sort of um, phenomena, observe it up close, or where it is to connect and you know be see somebody something from somebody else's shoes. You know, I, I wonder if you quickly share one of the examples you mentioned yesterday, which I think involved yeah. the Berlin Wall. The Berlin Wall. Yeah. So this is very close to me, as I mentioned. Like I, I was born in Bulgaria on the other side of the Berlin Wall. I was a, in my early teens when this event took place. And you know, when the, when the, when the and and I wouldn't be here if that event didn't took place. Sure. I just it has basically had a huge impact, profound impact on my life and how things turn out and what I've been able to accomplish. And obviously, it has made its way through my narrative about you know how uh, I look into the world and how I you know think about education, about global education while I'm here. And that said, I've, for a long time, I've been trying to kind of like really tell that story in, in various different ways, um, whether it's to my you know young niece or to my colleagues, and you know it, it resonates. It oftentimes does resonate. Um, but we now have a, a whole generation of students for whom this is just kind of like an event. Whether you're in Bulgaria or even in Germany or in other parts of Europe. It's abstract. It's abstract, right? And so now through um, this experience, the Berlin Wall, which is available, and it was a partnership between uh, University of Maryland, uh, ended up being sort of a thesis project for students, teamed up with University and HTC Vive, and now it's available on Viveport. Um, sort of you can, you can download and go through it. But this experience now, you can go in and kind of go beyond just being um, reading through text or, or, or seeing the broadcast. You actually can walk the streets of Berlin. And not only you can walk it, but you can kind of walk it from different perspectives, from both the West and the East. And for me, it was just really amazing. I wasn't expecting it, but I felt like I'm participating so in history. On and you're, you're, yes, you're and you and you can walk at a, at a the card, and you can kind of, with the searchlight, you can you know kind of try to search those that are trespassing, which obviously there are horrendous stories about this taking sure. place. Sure. And by the, and as soon as you sort of one of the sort of ways that. Um, they've modeled that is, is as you kind of look through with the searchlight, look at find these people and they disappear, which of course you know, like so many people were killed trying to cross on, on you know, cross the Berlin Wall um, to like freedom. Um, and I think that's, I, I just, and then I've talked to sort of students who, and they, they had no, no idea about this. And then of course, at the end, you have so action oriented, you can break down the wall. And I think, I think this is a, you know, it's a completely, it's a participatory experience. And you are there very much focused on it, which is, you know, parts of why it's good to be in VR. Like, it, you're not multitasking in front of a screen. You're actually walking the steps. Uh, and I think um, it's, it's, it's impactful. And not just for me, who, you know, I have some kind of, you know, obviously connection to it, but we just did it actually at, 
the new school with some students. I've done it with some faculty. Um, a fair amount has been published from the museum. People kind of just, you know, seeing it is incredibly powerful, especially this new generation who, who didn't partake in that. Thank you. And um, Rob, is there, you know, it's, it's interesting to hear things that are concrete instead of just these ideas, which are, of course, yeah. we have to, some of these things we have to talk about before they even happen so that we can prepare for them. Mm-hmm. But I wonder on the Georgia Tech campus, are there, are there examples where you're already seeing people experiment with things or, or start to think about how they might use an actual you know, VR device in a, in a class setting? Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things that, uh, this is going to sound tangential for a minute, but sure, I'll, I'll come please. back. Uh, one of the things that we're uh, working on in a very uh, uh, broad way at Georgia Tech is blended learning. Uh, we want uh, to see people using, whether it's video or some other kind of technology, to deliver content and instruction and then use class time for project-based learning and so forth. So uh, the the area that I'm very excited about now is I, I've been talking with one of our uh, civil and environmental engineering professors about this to put together a blended VR class. Uh, so the idea here is he he currently does uh, kind of a flipped model where he del- he has videos that are just kind of canned and they're up on the web and the students watch him demonstrate equations and things like that and then they uh, they come back into class and, and they try to solve these equations themselves. And I said, what if we actually could put the students into a virtual scenario where they are working with the machine that you are describing and they're able to take it apart into its component pieces uh, and, uh, and then when they get into the classroom they can actually use some of those pieces of the machine. So it's it's training, but it's giving an opportunity in the classroom to combine both the virtual experience and the uh, and the in-person experience. Um, and, and one of the reasons that this has been on my mind is simply because uh, VR is expensive, uh, and uh, you know, Vives and and the Oculus Rift, uh, they're all expensive systems. And if there is a way, uh, one one of the things that uh, that uh, the logistical concerns about using VR is if you've got a class of 30 students and you've only got three headsets, what are the other 27 people doing? Um, so if there's an opportunity for them to work on some kind of project that they have perhaps learned about before class, um, for example, using a Google Cardboard-like setup, so it's it's less expensive. It's something that they can do, you know, bring your own device kind of thing. And Use then, their own phone and these very low-cost Right, and yeah. And, and you just you strap it to your face and you see this is how the machine works. Now, when you come to class the next day, uh, we're going to take turns actually... Uh, working with those machines and when you're not actually on the VR headsets then you can be over here with your partners solving some equation about why the machine isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing or something like that. So I'm really looking forward to finding ways that we can incorporate incorporate that uh, that that immersive experience with the face-to-face experience. Well, I have many more questions, but I want to, we already have a question come in, and I want to bring up a, a, someone on, on a video question, if we can. And so, Ben, um, thanks for joining us, Ben. Could you introduce yourself, too, as you, and, and would love to hear your question or comment. I am um, Ben Leffler. I'm a creative technologist at um, 160 over 90. We work with a lot of higher education cool. clients, um, mostly from a branding capacity, but we're looking, you know, always to expand what kind of things what we do for our clients. So that's why I'm here. Something that we face a lot is accessibility. Um, That's something that, you know, 
any any client that we have, we need to work with them. Um, um, but I'm curious what you what you all are doing on your end to provide you know accessible experiences for those with disabilities, et cetera, in a VR context. That's a great question. Yeah, uh, an does question. anyone want to grab yeah. that first, Maya? Do you have any thoughts on, on yeah? This is a you know this is a very important question. Um, to and it, it often comes up in this conversation and obviously we're very early on and you know a lot of the projects are in a very experimental space in, on, on campuses and, and you know including ours um, uh, and I think that um, the good part for me is that this year I see a lot more conversation about this and I see that conversation you know in, in spaces where Google is participating and Samsung is participating and this is very important um, obviously, at this point, there are, dif- there are different types of disabilities. Um, and for some students, like I've had students who are completely not able to move. And we were able to actually put the headset on them. And for them, it was like a world of new opportunities because they're completely locked into a chair. And so this is this is one way where, where it's great. But, of course, there are all these other accessibilities where we don't have even a roadmap how to address. And what we've done traditionally with other media is to transcribe these as stories or transcribe the experience. And unfortunately, I think this is where we find ourselves right now. But we all should be, you know, and having that conversation, you know, going to design, you know, going to designers and technologists and asking, asking them to consider that. And I know that there's now sort of that's what is taking place. Um, where we are in the field is people are trying to basically. Uh, build up sort of understanding how what are the design developments what how do we design these experiences so that it can be translated in different modes for different peoples and different disabilities um, and I think that's um, that's really um, what I can say but uh, there's some cues that people are taking from able gamers type of initiatives in the past who who've worked very hard also on these issues. Um, and I think we just need to, to participate and, and keep pushing and uh, keep asking the questions. That's great. Interesting. I'm going to defer to yeah, my no, expertise on this one. Ben, thank you for bringing us that question. I think it's a great issue and we'll, it's something for me to think about, too, in, in future stories. Appreciate it. Um, so I, I wanted to ask, I think, you know, and... My, you won't be surprised I'm asking this question, I think, yes. but I, I'm curious about, you know, I've been covering this a long time. I, I think you guys have seen a lot come and go with technology and, and education. Mm-hmm. And we've seen before an interest and excitement about things like right. virtual worlds, yep. right? Yep. Ten years ago, Second Life. Mm-hmm. Some mm-hmm. people out there might not even remember what that is. You can Google it. Um, but it, it was a thing. And colleges yep. were spending a lot of yep. money and resources and, and building virtual versions of their campuses. And that a lot of that energy has faded. And a lot of people, you know, some still are going. But like, what's different about this version? Do you think um, that, or this this um, round of talk about virtual reality and education from previous ones, especially maybe the, the kind of uh, the second, second life? life. Yeah. Well, well, specific yeah. about that. I mean, certainly, and everybody who's kind of brought this conversation to faculty or to sort of the teaching and learning sort of um, community has often faced that question about the reference to Second Life. And um, kind of have to say, like Second Life uh, came in early, and um, we basically dis- um, we weren't very. Most of us were not very well equipped with the technology, which is something we a little bit of what we face today, right? Um, and and 
there was a hype and today there is a hype and the hype doesn't doesn't help but i think what happened with second life is where our thinking as sort of designers was is it it ended up being a direct translation of our world you know so many campuses ended up recreating their campus in that second life and that was the pride that you you know you got an island in Second Life, and you created a campus. Yeah, you literally mm-hmm. like, yeah. Said, like, how can we make it look exactly, exactly like, like this? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so this was Put like the this. Landmark in there. This is sort of that direct translation. It was kind of like uh, the idea that you can model something in the digital world. Right. Um, I think we need. I mean, we need to really stay away from that. Mm. Um, I think where we're today. Uh, I think I'm incredibly excited about social VR when it comes to us. It's not here yet. Uh, because I think there will be uh, different ways. But when you enter these experiences in full body, it's something very transformational. However, this is not just any experience. This is a, an experience that is well thought of and designed, and you're entering it with a purpose. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, it's not just like logging in to Second Life and kind of like roaming around. A little bit of that may happen. You know, there may be experiences where purely exploring the space would make the experience so much so important and then coming back to the discussion because you now um, have this you're not trying to create a concept you're not trying to um, to kind of um, recreate a mental model of something you've actually experienced the model and I think that's really powerful um, so it's something also we really need to spend more energy and in, in, in academia and in education all levels to think about well, what would make um, you know the best immersive experience as the technology is giving us more and more affordances which is exciting and I think it will take a fair amount of prototyping so um, I think that one of the things that I see oftentimes is um, what are we building? You know, people are very excited. We're going to go and we're going to build something. And over the last two years, as you know, I've, I've been embedded in, in sort of this research and these fields and I've talked to designers and journalists and technologists and, uh, you know, sort of Hollywood people and video people. And you actually have to go there open-minded. You have to bring people from different perspectives, people who, who understand narrative and people who understand film and people who design experience designers and then just really prototype try it and prototype it and try it again and you end up in a place which is different I guarantee everybody who attempt to do this today that you taught because you kind of have to kind of really have to prototype and try different things if the experience is going to be interactive and I often say if you're going to be flipping pancakes in VR you have to like figure out how you're going to flip the pancakes one of the experiences we're doing right now it's in with the um, performing arts school which is a play-along in virtual reality <laughs> with, a, with a faculty who is basically doing, we're doing a, you know, a jazz sort of session where students can be part of it and then actually you know, be the performer in it. Super exciting. It's not, it's actually can work on the cardboard, it's experiential, and it gives them the opportunity to find themselves on the big stage early on and participate and really have mastery. And I think these are the kinds of things, you know, it's not about, it, the, the most difficult part for us is that direct translation mm-hmm. from other media. Cause we so that's all, one lesson maybe from the Yeah, because we like, all, all bring this, exactly you know, this sort of background of, of, of interacting with media on screens yeah. and in, you know, the media as we know it today. Mm-hmm. 
Rob, I was curious, almost a, a literal question of our title, right? Of the, what is the future of VR in education? I mean, how, mm-hmm. uh, I would like to ask you first, like, how, how big might this get, do you think? Like, I mean, obviously, there are many tools in education. Mm-hmm. And um, what, what do you imagine, because you guys are looking not only inside of your own university, but I think outside mm-hmm. at the landscape. Do you, I mean, and, and maybe how soon, right? Because all journalists love to ask, like, when is it coming? Is it five years? Is it, is it next week and a half? Like, yeah. You know. mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I think VR is subject to Moore's Law, uh, like everything else. So right. it's, it's going to continue to come down in price while the processing power doubles. Um, but uh, the, I think the potential that we see for it and, um, and, and what I think we're going to see it being used for within, let's say, the next... I'll go out on a limb here and I'll say within the next three to five years, uh, is that it will become more ubiquitous. Everyone will have an opportunity to use some kind of VR setup. Uh, It can be very immersive. And what that gives us is empathy. Empathy for other people's experiences. Empathy for uh, the ways that, as as you were describing, for example, about the Berlin Wall. uh, Being able to walk down that street and to know what that uh, person, uh, what a person in that situation might have gone through. When we start to look uh, out on the horizon to see where we're going to be with this technology. I think a lot of it has to be, obviously, it's supply-driven, as we were just saying. You know, you've got to have uh, more of these devices that people can afford. But it's also going to be demand-driven. And the more we see people demanding those authentic experiences, the more we're going to see it get adopted. And I'm, I'm hopeful, I'm optimistic that it's going to be kind of an exponential uh, effective uh, over the next few years, and so some of, and some of that answer I'm hearing is is kind of like where the technology will be in the consumer space, mm-hmm. and that translating into what people are able to bring into the classroom is that about right? About that yeah, I, I mean, there's you know obviously there's going to be multiple different uses for it, sure. and there's a gaming uh, use for it, and then there's going to be a walk down the the street in in a city kind of use for it, and then there are going to be very practical uh, you know companies that are doing training uh, through VR. Sure. And, sure. and things like that. So as we start to see that pick up steam in multiple spaces, we're all here at South by Southwest where we're learning about what people in industry are doing with a lot of these tools and, and things, uh, that the, the word is going to spread, and, and I think it's really going to spread like wildfire. And we have another we have another video question I want to make sure we get time for. We are nearing the end, so if you have a question and you've been, like, shy, please, this is the time. Raise your hand. Um, <laughs> so give us a second here to have this pop up. Kenji, uh, looks Hi. like you're, you're uh, Kenji, yeah, uh, thanks, I, thanks for joining us. Let me um, mute let my TV here. here. Okay, great. <laughs> great. So, Excellent. Great. So, there is, um, my question is about VR motion sickness. So, um, you know, I have friends who have used the VR goggles and I've used one myself. And I found that after like 15, 20 minutes, I start feeling nauseous and when I talk to other people, it seems to be a pretty common experience. So I guess my question is, do you think that VR motion sickness is a major obstacle to widespread adoption? And what, what are some of the ways that that might be addressed? Let's, I, I actually have had have this experience too, Kenji. I'm glad you asked. Um, my, my, yeah. you want to go first? Yeah. You, yeah. You, you probably, you, you probably worn more of these devices than we, than, yeah. uh, I don't yeah. want to I, speak for myself yeah, for sure. I spent a fair amount of time. I, you know, by, you know, diving into this field, I, I definitely um, sort of done a, a fair amount of VR. That's part of, like, I want to be, uh, as a researcher, it's my goal to, to have experienced these things and as a practitioner. So, um, 
the incredible there are people that are incredibly sensitive me too mm. so There's, different people have different yeah so different, uh, yeah tolerance to tolerance it. thank you um so um and obviously there's a virtual reality experiences that are very professionally done and then they're ones that are put together pretty fast sounds like the early days of youtube and other things and <laughs> so those that are put together fast and without sort of um the understanding there are lots of things that they're moving parts that are not aligned uh-huh. and in particular you know the idea of the sort of the stance of motion sickness become because when you know the inner ear and the out of ear sort of what are we experiencing hearing etc emotion it's, medical it's not yeah. aligned okay. right yeah. it's not aligned so I we see. know exactly the cause for that right. and i think um when um you're creating and designing understanding that this could be avoided now we mm. could solve part we so a part of it is solving it by basically designing testing and and doing you know experiences um uh, understanding this new medium um part of it you know the technology is getting better in balancing that act mm-hmm. so i do believe that uh, we we will get there um on the other, in in combination between design and tech on the other hand i think there might be a small actually percentage of the population that might be you know hypersensitive and we don't know yet because it's just too early well that's i mean this is a really interesting thing to watch as this emerges um we have uh, thank you so much kenji for raising that important issue um and and we'll 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 stay tuned well look i want to thank both of you so much for sharing your perspectives i think you've seen more of the future than we have when it comes to this technology and 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 for you know willing to think about what might happen uh, to us all in this uh, new realm and thank you everybody for joining us we really um we really thank you all for the great questions and for for listening today appreciate thank it you. see you next time thank you this has been the edsurge on air podcast If you listen to other podcasts, you'll probably notice they always ask you to rate the show on iTunes. So if you like this one, please take a minute to do that. It helps our ranking and helps others find us. This episode was edited and produced by me, Jeff Young. We'll be back next week with more conversations about the future of education. Thanks for listening.